All right, well, we left off on page 88 and point two at the bottom. Uh, like I said, we'll, we'll get those notes for you here later. Yes, we're in Acts chapter 8, and we're at verse, I believe, verse 10 thereabout. Yep, verse 10 and 11. And so we're looking at the response of the Samaritans to Simon in the past. And so remember, we're last week introduced to this character, Simon, and his chicanery that he was doing before and deceiving people. And then he saved and it kind of gives just an editorial here after the fact of the things he used to do. Uh, but uh, Philip is here in Samaria and is given the gospel and it's been well received. And so pick it up at verse five and we'll just read through to recap. In verse five, it says, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people uh, with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them. And many taken with the palsies and that were lame were healed. And there uh, was a great joy in that city. But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And to him... Uh, they had regard because that of a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding his uh, beholding the miracles and signs uh, which were done. And so uh, we have, again, a seminal moment here, I think, in the early church. And uh, this is why we're taking some time to explain here what's going on with Simon, because I believe you have a very similar moment to what you had when Ananias and Sapphira (laughs) had their little incident. Right. And God is showing through the Holy Spirit with the early church some things that will and will not be tolerated. Right. (laughs) There's got to be lines established. There's got to be. Uh, uh, borders set up, guardrails, if you were, to behavior. And so you see this again, and it's going to happen here with Simon. And I think this is why uh, Luke spends quite a bit of time introducing this character and then kind of developing who he was before, who he came to be when he was saved. But there's something about that old sin nature, right? It, It wants to come out and play every once in a while. And so you see Simon actually believing the facts of the gospel, but those things that he was involved in prior to his salvation, they did not necessarily go away. And we see that uh, with this amazement that he has here over uh, these gifts that the apostles were given. And so he's going to ask to have part in it. Uh, But let's uh, bow in a word of prayer and then we'll come back and look at this response of the Samaritans Samaritans prior uh, to Simon. And so let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, we're grateful uh, for this day and grateful uh, again for the opportunity to dig into your word and the interesting things that pop up, the different themes that we're able to see, uh, the the different uh, things that we might have looked past sometime. But when we uh, go detailed into your word, we're able to see different uh, themes that occur. And so 
And we're grateful for that. We're, we're grateful for the opportunity that we have to continue in this study. And we'd ask that it would uh, be enriching uh, to all of us uh, that we might uh, fully appreciate those things that we have by grace. For it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right. And so in verse 10, we see uh, that they had given heed. They were uh, captivated by these things that Simon was doing prior to Philip coming and delivering the gospel. And so (laughs) we talked about it before, these tricks or these things that he was able to do. Uh, We looked at a lot of the uh, areas of scripture where these uh, words occur that relate to this sorcery and all of this stuff that has to do with uh, looking at the the stars and seeing how they align in the sky and all of this different stuff. What we didn't go into was, um, and, and you think back to the Tower of Babel. And everyone wants to talk about how tall that tower was. And that was the amazing thing about it. I don't really think that that was what was that amazing about it. If, in fact, if you look at the historical accounts of it, many people believe this was just one of those uh, circular uh, type structures, right? That, well, they weren't that tall. It's what the people were doing on the top of that. And they said, uh, really, there, if you look at the language back in the Hebrews, it says, let's build a tower whose top has the quality of the heavens. Right. And so they're all of this star watching and, and having this uh, uh, devotion that goes on surrounding that. What, what's that? Brother? That, that tower back there, doing a little work on it, uh, they most believe that they, what they did is they put the signs of the Zodiac. Correct. They were already, they yep. were already using the Zodiac. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's what I was kind of getting at in a roundabout way. But yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what was more going on there. And you see it carrying all throughout uh, human history, even way back in the Genesis. Uh, But this guy, Simon here, being involved in some of the same things likely and, and probably doing little quote unquote miracles that he says are miracles, but we see that they're really not. And so he sees what real miracles are when Philip comes along, right? And he's able to start doing these things. And Peter comes along a little bit later and he's able to lay hands on people and they receive uh, the Holy Spirit. And he says, wow, (laughs) it takes him back to who he was before. And he said, boy, I couldn't do that. I sure would like to now, though. (laughs) And and we see what happens. Uh, But in verse 10, this idea here of the captivation of the Samaritans it says that he they gave heed to him before. And so I would translate that the willingness to grasp and respond favorably to the words or commands of another. And so go with me over to Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. And we see a good example of this word used with Paul. And so Paul here is about to depart um, and not see the Ephesians anymore. So he calls the elders uh, there to him. And he has a, a message for them. Uh, Acts, Acts chapter 20. And pick it up in verse 17. It says there, And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called uh, the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, You know from the first day that I uh, came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews, and how I have kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught, uh, taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying uh, both the 
to both the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith uh, toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that should befall me there, save that the Holy Spirit uh, witnesses in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life as dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take, uh, take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which uh, the Holy Spirit hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. And so here uh, Paul is departing out. Right. And he doesn't anticipate seeing these saints anymore. And so these are people he's instructed and given uh, the whole counsel of God, as he says there. He's given deep detail about uh, uh, theological things. And so he tells them to do what? take heed, to mentally grasp, to be on the lookout and be aware of the situations that uh, could befall you. Uh, And we see this here and it's using the imperative. So it's something he's given them a strong urging to do. Right. This is something you need to do if you know what's good for you. And so as you go back and think of that mind that's being used there with uh, Philip, excuse me, with Simon back in chapter eight. And as he's uh, Doing all of these things, whatever he was doing of of sorcery in front of them, they gave heed to it. They paid close attention uh, to what he was doing and they they uh, uh, were captivated by these actions. And so who was the audience of these Sumerians? It says from the least to the greatest. And I don't believe this is uh, looking at anything. It's just looking at the whole totality of who was there in Samaria. Uh, And they were all captivated by his actions. Uh, And so it could be either speak to age or to the influence that those persons had. So we have uh, people that are seen as great in other people's eyes and in different communities. Right. Uh, Some might be because they have money. Right. Some might be because they have great wisdom or understanding Um, or some might be because of their their age. Uh, And so you see that there. And then the opinions of the Samaritans, what did they say concerning uh, uh, Simon that validated this message? They said, this man is the great power from the God. Right. And if you think about people and these people around in this area, they they saw there being many gods. So this guy is the great power from the God. Right. The particular God. Um, and, and whatever he was doing captivated them in that way. Uh, top of page 89, you guys don't have this. Uh, again, I'm going to try to get it printed out after, uh, but we're there. Uh, their belief was that his abilities were divinely inspired. And so whatever it was that he was doing, they thought it, it came from God. Now, in verse 11, we see that the reason uh, for their captivation was the things that he was doing. It says in verse 11 that, and to him they had regard because that of a long time he had 
uh, it says bewitch there them with sorceries. Now, this word for bewitch we'll get into a little bit here. Uh, but they were continually captivated by him prior to their conversion. It's in the present tense. This was something that was perpetually happening. He kept over and over again doing things that would have caused them to say, this guy is the great power from the God. And so they were deceived over the course of time. Uh, this, this idea here that of a long time is a sufficient chronological period of time. Right. And so sometimes we think of times in different different aspects, especially in Scripture. Uh, we see time translated as seasons of time. Right. The proper season for something to take place. This is looking at a period of time. Right. Over the course of several years that he was doing this and he astounded them. This idea here of, of um, our word in verse 11 uh, bewitched is to astonish. And so bad translation for this context here, because we already see different words relating to sorcery. This is not a sorcery word. This is more the idea here of, of causing them to stand outside of themselves. The things that he was doing amazed them that much in their simplistic minds that it caused them to stand outside of themselves. Now, they're going to have real reason when Philip comes along and starts doing true miracles to say, hey, wow, now this is amazing. This is really, really happening. Uh, and so <coughs> you see that difference there. Uh, but he did this by sorceries. And so, uh, again, this word here for sorceries is our word for magic, uh, the, the um, magi word there. <coughs> and so and then in verse 12, we see the present response to Philip. And so it's very much contrasted with how they reacted to Simon before. Uh, and how do, how do you contrast it? With the use of that word, but. And so the uh, Greek word de has the idea of the contrast to the deception of the Samaritans with Simon and the truth that came through Philip. And so what are we seeing? Philip's doing different healings and things that are really real, right? That you, you can't say, Hmm. This guy that I've known here for many years, it was had this disability and all of a sudden he's able to, to do stuff. You can't deny that. Right. I can deny like I compared it to these magic tricks that people do. I can deny when I see someone floating in the air. Maybe there's some strings there that are holding them up. Maybe they have some kind of force underneath them that's causing them to be off the ground. You can't deny someone that has not been able to walk. For many years, being able to walk all of a sudden that just doesn't happen naturally. Right. Uh, you might have known this guy many years and seen him laying on the ground. And it kind of compares with our uh, healing that we saw of Peter over in chapter three. Right. That guy had been lame from his mother's birth and everyone knew it. There's no uh, acting on that that regard. He's, no one's going to lay around for 30, 40 years and act like they can't walk and then all of a sudden get up and, and start walking. That would be some some trick that you, you pulled off there. But no, uh, this this was real. And so we see the faith of the Samaritans uh, talked about in their conversion in verse 12. And so they believed at the hearing of Philip's message which was validated by the sign miracles. And so what does it say there in verse 12? But when they believe Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. And so here you go, right? The actual kingdom of God, the things concerning the kingdom of God for which there was no entry 
prior to the work that Christ accomplished. And so he gave them the full uh, uh, gospel in order for them to believe. And so this includes the content of the message uh, revolving around the kingdom of God. And it includes the gospel for salvation and entry into the kingdom, uh, which is made available through faith in God's object for salvation. Go with me over to uh, Mark chapter 10 and verse 25. And we see something that could be added here. Mark chapter 10 and verse 25. And pick it up in in verse 17. And it says there, and when he was gone forth into the way, there came one uh, running and kneeled to him and asked him, good master, what should I do that I might inherit eternal life? And so here here you see a, a guy of a very Jewish perspective, right? Uh, and possibly of a human perspective, that there is something that we can do to earn something that God gives freely, right? And so uh, kind of compares, you can probably put a note here in your, uh, in your text if you do those kind of things, to Exodus 19, right? And why do we emphasize so much the Jews and that, that willingness that they have to prove themselves before God? It was there at the very start. When God said to them, hey, all you have to do is trust in the work that I've already accomplished. I brought you out of Egypt. I delivered you with a mighty hand out of that country. It was me that did it. And all you have to do is trust in me and I will make you a great kingdom of priests. And what did they say? All that God has said to do, we will do. And we will keep on doing it, as it says in other parts of Scripture. Oh, absolutely. Uh, verse 18 here, it says, And Jesus said unto him, of chapter 10, Mark 10. Uh, and Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Now he's playing with him here, of course. In verse 19, Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these I have observed uh, from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and take up your uh, the cross and follow me. And he, he was very sad at that saying and went away grieved for he had great possessions. So here you have a guy that's uh, wanting to enter into the, the uh, into eternal life, but not willing to give up <laughs> what, what he has to to get there. Now, I don't I think Jesus was just saying this to test him and to see what he was willing to do. Now, salvation during Christ's earthly ministry was what? To believe in the object of salvation, which was him. It was right there. Uh, He was not willing to do this all. Uh, Verse 23, and it says, And Jesus looked round about and said unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? Now, he doesn't say it's impossible 
but it's difficult, right? It's very difficult for someone to say that I'm going to prioritize my relationship with God over those possessions and things that I have. Uh, and the disciples were astonished at this at his words. But uh, Jesus answered again and said unto them, children, how hard is it <coughs> uh, uh, for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. He then, was playing, he was playing with Absolutely. And, and uh, you see it go further and further and him explain it more and more. And in verse 26, and they were astonished out of measure, saying to themselves, who then can be saved? Now, what is he saying here? Is he saying that it is impossible for a rich man to be saved? Because it is impossible for a camel, a camel to go through an eye of a needle. But pay attention to what he says here. In verse uh, 27, it says, and Jesus looking upon them with men it is impossible, but not with God. For God, with God, all things are possible. It is impossible for a man to save himself, right? You have no ability to enter into the kingdom of God. You don't have the ability. Rich man, poor man, whoever you are, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Uh, but for God, all things are possible. Now here, uh, I, what, the reason I came here is you see the kingdom of God relates directly to what? Not all at once. Salvation. Salvation. When you talk about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of the heavens, it relates directly to the promises that have been made to Israel that the kingdom that's in heaven right now is going to rule upon the earth. Right. And that Jesus, the promised Messiah, is going to sit on the throne of his father, David, right here on the earth. This kingdom of God is totally different and relates directly uh, to salvation. And so it would include all of those that have been saved. You see it here in the Gospels uh, being preached and entry into the kingdom of God. Uh, and so uh, we see this here. Back over to uh, Acts chapter 8. And as you think of it here, in the kingdom of God, uh, being preached to these Samaritans, Samaritans, um, <clears throat> you see, um, I lost my place. Verse twelve, um, the kingdom of God, and so it says there. But when they believed Philip, uh, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. And so, this idea here of believing the facts of the gospel validated. And it's not Philip. Right. It says believe Philip. They believe the message that he was preaching. Right. And it was validated by the things that he did or those miracles that he did. Uh, we have been hearing a lot of things about this cessation uh, doctrine, um, this doctrine of cessation. And uh, someone asked me about it at work, what I thought about the doctrine of cessation. And I I don't even know what that is. <laughs> what is the doctrine of cessation? I'm not always uh, versed in all of these these different uh, uh, Christianese type things. But it's this doctrine concerning the fact that these spiritual gifts will cease. Right. Some of these things that were done during the book of Acts do not continue. past, And you see it bear out in scripture. I, I was watching a, a person on YouTube that was speaking about it and they said, well, he was he was scared to come out and just say that he didn't believe that these things would continue on. But he said, I don't see in scripture where it says that that will happen.
but I don't see evidence in life that these things are still going on. What people are calling tongues are not actually languages like they were in the Bible. What people are saying they're healing, I'm not seeing evidence of the fact that people are being healed. Uh, well, I would have told them to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, right? Let's go over there really quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Yeah, that's what the doctrine of... of, Correct. Not not through the power of or the hand of of man. Yeah. Um, And so remember back, and it's very important to understand scripture in context, right? And we've talked about this several times, why this chapter 13 is not the love chapter, right? It does describe love and it describes some of the characteristics of love, but it doesn't describe love completely because that's not the focus of what he's writing about here. You go back to chapter 12 and chapter 11. He begins this by talking about how these Corinthian saints are using their spiritual gifts. Right. And some of them are using these gifts to damage one another, to laud it over other brothers and sisters. And he's saying here, that's that's not the way that God designed for these gifts to be used. And so chapter 13 talks about using your spiritual gifts in love. And he he shows you what it looks like, some of the characteristics of what it would look like. But pick it up in, in verse seven. It says, beareth all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. What is he saying? He's saying this, this stuff that's given to them is only in pieces. No one has the whole picture, right? Not even Paul and all the things that God gave him. He didn't give it all to him. There were parts that were given to Peter to, to deliver to people. He didn't have it all. It's all pieces. Correct. Like a puzzle is being put together. Uh, verse uh, 10. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. And what is that which is perfect? Really, you can translate it that perfect thing. It's in the neuter. And so it's up to your interpretation as to what that perfect thing is. But when that perfect thing has come, these parts would no longer be needed. How much sense does it make that when all of the revelation was given to these apostles that wrote different parts of scripture, that you have everything that you need regarding revelation? And there would no longer be a need to prophesy concerning anything because you could pick up your Bible and read it. <laughs> Makes a little bit of sense to you guys. Yeah. It does to me. And so these spiritual gifts would go away, be abolished whenever that perfect thing has come. For me, it's this. Now, I, I won't uh, make you to believe that you <laughs> believe what you will. Uh, but we see that here. Um, and so as you're looking at what Philip did and the impact back in uh, uh, chapter eight, you see it's because in the absence of having scripture in the absence of having something perfect that uh, could explain fully what God is doing in his plan and purposes, 
they needed something to validate the message. And you see the impact of it here with these Samar Samaritans, right? Before, they believed in all of this nonsense that Simon was doing. But when Philip came along, described the gospel to them, and validated it with these sign miracles that he was doing, what happened? They believed, right? It made sense to them. Sounds like the pastor when he <laughs> talked about when he was in church when he was younger and he heard all of these different things that were being preached in church, but none of them made any sense, right? Until he went to seminary and he was able to put all of the picture together and to put all of these things together. And it happens to a lot of us in our Christian lives, right? Things don't always make sense at, at one time. Sometimes it takes a, a little bit of putting things together to get there. Now, uh, what happened How, after they believed? They were physically baptized. And so this idea here of physical baptism, and I say physical baptism because we are going to see that their spirit baptism didn't happen immediately. Uh, they, were, they were water baptized first. And so it says there at the end of the verse, they were baptized, both men and women. Now, water baptism uh, speaks to the fact that they didn't receive the Holy Spirit. Skip ahead a few verses down to verse 16. <clears throat> well, we'll read on from verse 14. It says, Now when the apostles were, uh, which were at Jerusalem heard that, the Samar they that, that heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who, uh, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. You see, they have not received the Holy Spirit as of yet. Verse 16, for as, uh, as of yet, uh, he was not falling, he had uh, fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so this is going to set the table for another miracle <laughs> and for the opportunity for us to see Simon at some of his foolishness and going back into his, his old ways. Uh, but we won't get ahead of ourselves. Now, so they were water baptized, but did not immediately receive the Holy Spirit. Now, the question is, why did they not immediately receive the Holy Spirit? And I have a footnote here uh, just to explain out what I think. And it says the fact that the Samaritans didn't immediately receive the Holy Spirit as the Jews on the day of Pentecost is interesting. We see that those who were saved during Christ's earthly ministry received the Holy Spirit at the day of Pentecost. Now, Note that these were believers that were already saved during Christ's earthly ministry. And then the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost and they received the Holy Spirit. So keep that in mind. Let's go back there really quick uh, to verse uh, one of chapter two. And really pay attention uh, do I want to go back? Now, let's just read from verse 1. It says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. We see that same thing said of them in the last chapter, in, in chapter 1. And suddenly there came uh, uh, a sound of a, from heaven of a rushing wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And if you went back to, to chapter uh, 1, you see some of the people that were there 
Um, and I won't go all the way back there, but uh, you have the disciples, obviously, but you have Mary and, and several others that are, are mentioned there as well uh, back in, in chapter 1. Uh, and so this, this receiving of the Holy Spirit uh, uh, happened there to them. Uh, but then you see in my note, it continues on and it says by the laying on of hands of the apostles. And so there are different instances where these apostles were going around, not specifically or strictly here in, in chapter eight. We're going to see that that happens. Well, skip, skip down just a little bit uh, here in chapter eight. And we see this laying on of hands happen in verse 18 or verse 17. It says, then uh, laid they uh, their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of hands of the apostles, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered money saying, give me also the power that whomsoever I lay my hands, he might receive the Holy Spirit. And so you see this instance here with the Samaritans, but we also see it over in Acts chapter 19 and verse four. Now I want to show the difference between some of these, and I'm kind of trying to set this up. But in Acts chapter 19, you have people that were baptized under John's baptism who had not received the Holy Spirit. They weren't there at the day of Pentecost. And Paul is going to come along and, and lay his hands on them and they receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, but pick it up in verse uh, one. We'll go from there. And it says there, and it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believe? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Spirit. And he said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, uh, John verily baptized uh, with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him, which should come after him, that is on Jesus Christ. And so what does it say uh, over in John chapter one and verse 11? He says, as, as many as he or as came unto him, as many as he received, he gave them the authority to become sons of God. Right. That was to follow. It was pointing to something that was going to happen in the future. Um, verse five, it says, when they heard this. They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they uh, spake with tongues and prophesied. And all the men uh, were about 12. And so you see this again, the need to lay on hands here for them to receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, again, the difference is these were some that were saved during the Gospels. Right. And that's different than these ones that were saved uh, right here in, in Samaria. And so we also see that the Ethiopian eunuch believe, but it is not stated that he receives the Holy Spirit in uh, Acts chapter eight and verse thirty nine. The first occurrence we see where the Holy Spirit is actually received right after someone believes is with a what? A Gentile. We see it with Cornelius with Peter. And so Cornelius and his household received the Holy Spirit immediately after they believed. Go with me over to Acts chapter 10 and verse 44. <clears throat> Acts chapter 10 and verse 44. Now, I <clears throat> might seem like I'm all over the place, but this is going to come to a, a reasonable argument that I'm trying to make here. Uh, and again, you take it for what you will. 
I won't pound the pulpit with it, but I'll I'll say this is my reason for the fact that some didn't receive the Holy Spirit immediately. Um, Pick it up in verse uh, 36. It says, The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word, I say, you know, which was published throughout all of Judea, and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed with the devil, or of the devil. Uh, for God was with him. And we are all witnesses of or we are all we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but unto the witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. What are you seeing there? You're seeing all the elements of the gospel, right? He was alive. He was buried. He rose from the dead. We're just missing the fact that he died for for their sins. Uh, And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify Uh, That it is uh, he which was ordained of God to be a judge of the quick and the dead to him. Give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall uh, receive remission of sins. And so there's your sins element. Verse 44. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Spirit fell on all of them which heard the word. And so here you have it. They hear the elements of the gospel in real time, right? This is like a real conversation. I remember back uh, Pastor Dave a couple years ago, and he talked about this when we were in seminary. It's one of his, his favorite uh, anecdotes to give. And he talks about this guy. The guy was absolutely nuts. Some of the stories he, he told us about him. Uh, and he was really a, a bad dude. Uh, and spent a lot of time in jail. People tried to kill him, all, all kinds of stuff. But he has this fixation and fascination with Pastor Dave. And so he, he told a story about one night where this guy just showed up at his house and came to his table and was telling all of these things that are going wrong in his life. And he sat across the table from him and he told him the specific facts of the gospel. And he said he was tracking with him. He said Jesus died. He was tracking with him when he said Jesus was buried. Uh, and he, that he, when he got to that rose again, what happened? The eyes glazed over. He said it's like someone slipped in a, a just a, a, a audio fixation from his words to where he couldn't get the rest of it through. And you see that blind that worked there. But here you see the total opposite with these uh, the, with Cornelius in his household, that all of the elements of the gospel are there, right? That Jesus died on the cross, that he was buried, that he rose again for our sins on the third day. And it's all there. And what happens? It says the Holy Spirit came upon them as they sat there. And so like a, a picture of you seeing this happening in real time. I like these verses that just bring out the life of what's going on in that room. You can almost see it. Peter in this conversation with Cornelius. And as they're hearing these words, the Holy Spirit is coming up on them and their life has changed and will never be uh, the same again. 
Uh, and so in verse 45, it says, And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because uh, that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so those that believed as a result of Peter's message on the day of Pentecost are saved uh, to have been or are said to have been baptized. But it is not specified that they received the Holy Spirit. <coughs> um, those that re were baptized after excuse, or received the Holy Spirit after. Uh, and what is the possible solution uh, that the Holy Spirit didn't immediately come upon men until the gospel was extended to Jew, to Samaritan, and to Gentile. And so if you were there at the day of Pentecost, you immediately received the Holy Spirit. If you were ones that uh, had these apostles come around and give you the gospel, they could lay their hands upon you. But I don't believe that the Holy Spirit start coming upon men immediately after hearing the gospel until every group had been saved. And so remember at the start, what does it say in chapter one? Let's go back again. We keep going back here. But what did Jesus instruct these apostles to do? I thought someone was going to say it before I went there. <laughs> Miss J says fat chance. <laughs> Verse eight, it says, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Who do we see there? We see Jews in uh, Jerusalem and Judea. We see Samaritans there in uh, Samaria uh, or half Jews. And then we see the rest of all men with the uttermost parts of the earth. And so I think the reason that the Holy Spirit didn't come upon uh, these uh, immediately is because all of those groups had not been uh, reached yet. And so once they, they get reached with uh, Cornelius, we see the Holy Spirit start to come upon uh, individuals that believe the facts of the gospel. And so those uh, saved prior to the gospel being ex extended to the gen Gentiles or the uttermost parts of the earth, uh, which began with the salvation of Cornelius and his household, those uh, saved prior to the receiving of the Holy Spirit by the laying on of hands. And so um, we see these individual individual. Boy, I cannot speak this individual <laughs> instances of this prior to that. And so we'll leave it off there uh, in verse 12. And so just go back with me over to uh, chapter eight and we'll close her out. But the last verse of our area here is uh, then uh, Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. And so we're going to see the last part of that uh, sentence there. The last part of that verse is going to be a little bit problematic for old Simon as we come back into this next time.